This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. In the worship this morning and in the the songs that Simon led us in, I I heard some very strong echoes of Chris's uh, message from last week. And um, in the first one, this is probably going to mess Theo up a little bit now because I'm asking him to switch between different things. Could you, the first song we sang this morning, could you put the second verse of that up for me? So the one, the one day I, I actually turn up with a PowerPoint, I then ask him to switch it off and put something else back up on the screen. <laughs> turn with me while we're... Yeah, and what's the next one? Yeah, so those, those two bits on that one, okay. I'll, I'll read them out, particularly for those that are listening. Turn to Ephesians 3, if you would. And uh, I've really enjoyed uh, the series that the guys have done over the summer on our part in God's eternal purpose. And um, in chapter 3 of, of Ephesians... So we've gone all the way through chapter 1 and 2. I'm going I'm to be speaking from Ephesians 3 for this week and next week. And Ephesians 3 is when we actually get to the place where we hear the phrase eternal purpose. And uh, so we're going to read that in just a moment. But I felt that, that the stuff that Chris shared last week about the but now, how God had taken us from where we were and brought us to this place we have in Christ where we belong, where we're part of the family, where we're included in the house, where there's no longer division but there's unity. And, and and the image that the Apostle Paul is using there is he builds it so he says, so that we, we are being built into a house, a dwelling place for God by his spirit. That we together are the place in the earth where God says, that's where I'll be found. And that's why this morning when we're talking about, about the freedom that we have in Christ, it's really important that we realise that freedom is a mission, not just a, a, a position. Yeah, not just something I've received, but it's a mission I've been called to. It's a mission we've been called to. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where's the Spirit of the Lord? He dwells among his people. He dwells in you. Paul tells us in in 1 Corinthians that both individually and corporately we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are a place where God can be found. And when God built the, the original temple, you remember Solomon prays and he says, look, heaven and earth can't contain you. But at least here's a place where men can look and know that they can find God. And that's quite a limiting model, isn't it? One building. Which is why in the wisdom of God, God says, I'm going to take that image, but I'm going to make it into something that's now made out of living stones. And living stones are mobile stones, like Sarah was encouraging us. You don't have to be quite as mobile as Izzy to qualify. Praise God. Um, but but it's, we're mobile, we move around. So, so God can be found everywhere. He can be found everywhere. Why? Because there are agents of his freedom. There are men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so just flick back to the, uh, to the next one after that, would you, Theo? Your spirit come, your power displays that heaven's here. Blind eyes will see Jesus reigns. The king is among us. The king is is among us. And you know, it's sometimes it's, it's perhaps easy to, to feel that and experience that when we come together, but the truth is that he's with you everywhere you go. And he's with you in a way that he wants the world to encounter him 
through you and through me. That's what he has called us together to be, a dwelling place, a holy temple in the Lord. In him you're being joined together to a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, let's go to Ephesians 3. We're going to read this. For this reason, um, I'd just like to say, although I did kind of arrange the program over the last seven weeks and ask the guys to do that and give them all that assignment, it wasn't really just to get ready for me speaking today, even though that's kind of how chapter three begins. For this reason. So all the stuff they've talked about for the last seven weeks is for this reason. Okay. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it's now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. We're going to read the rest of the chapter, but I just want you to see something that he's talking. So that's why I'm going to structure this week and next week. Paul is saying here, look, there was a, there's always been a plan. God's always had a plan, but it, it was hidden. Okay, it was hidden. It was a hidden mystery. That's the nature of mysteries. They're there in plain sight, but they're also hidden. He said it was, a hidden, it was a hidden mystery, but God's plan was always that when Christ came, he revealed that and he made it known. And how does he make it known? He says, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. So God's way of letting the world know what he's up to, who he is, what he's doing, and who we are, and who the world is, and what his purpose for it is, and what his heart and his intention for it is through the church. It's through you and me. But it's not just through a message. It's not just through words. It's, because it's through him infusing us and filling us with his Holy Spirit. Because he knows that we can't do it in our own strength. He knows we can't do it naturally, so he says, I'm going to make you to be a house where I can be found. And I believe we just need to have complete confidence in that reality. If my, if my confidence was based on my own ability, well, first of all, it would be misplaced. Sure, I can talk and I can say things, but it's like Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, look, I didn't come with, with powerful and persua- uh, with, with persuasive words or, or lofty arguments. I came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. You see, that's the, that's the currency of the gospel. It's the power of the Spirit and, and the confidence that we have. You know, it's very easy to believe that I can't perform a miracle, isn't it? <laughs> oh, some of you are maybe not convinced. <laughs> How many of you are utterly convinced that you have no miraculous powers? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Just, just, just checking. Yeah. I can't, do, I can't do any of that stuff. I can't do any of that stuff. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can do anything. Yes, he, he, one of the things that kind of his, part of his character 
is that he does the impossible. That with him, that nothing is impossible. And, and he's saying the mystery, God's plan, what God was doing in the world was kind of hidden for generations. But now it's been revealed and it's being revealed, yes, through apostles and prophets to the church, but it's being revealed to the world through the church. Yeah, that's our, that's our task. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose, there's the phrase, that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. In whom we have, in Jesus, we have boldness and access with confidence. Boldness and access with confidence. Um, you are right at home in Christ. You are right at home in the kingdom. There is, no, uh, there is no need and no room for any sense of imposter syndrome in the kingdom of God. There's no, there's no room for that in this church. It's easy to feel it, isn't it? Because you can look at, you can look at some people and you can, you can be in awe of how godly they are and how full of faith they are and and how disciplined they are, and how much they, they know the scriptures, and how spiritual they are, and you think, oh, if only they, they knew what I was like, then everyone would realise I don't really belong. Do you know, that's the flesh, and, 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 and if we're honest, we all have that sometimes. I, I want to make a little confession. I felt that on Friday morning when I was praying with some of my brothers. And I was sat there and I thought... Their prayers seem so filled with faith, compared to, with faith compared to mine. And but you, you know, it's not true. It is true that their prayers were full of faith, but you know, <laughs> it's it's not true that we don't we belong because of what Jesus has done. Yeah, we have access. Well, let's, let me read it. Let me get it right. We we have boldness and access with confidence. You belong. You belong. You belong under the anointing of the Spirit. You belong placing your hands on the sick and seeing them recover. That's who you are. That's who he's made you to be. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. (coughs) Why has he saved us? Why has he taken us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light? Why Why is there that wonderful but now in Ephesians 2? Why is it there so that God can build his house it's wonderful isn't it because when we first get saved we think that that the gospel's all about us 
And then as we mature a little and read the scriptures, we, we realise it's actually all, it's all about God. It doesn't mean it's any less for me. It doesn't mean that the gospel is any less this amazing blessing and rich experience in my life. But we realise it's also, it's not just about saving me. It's not just about getting me to heaven. It's about God bringing his purpose into the whole of the earth. To fill the earth with his glory. To, to be this kind of mysterious phrase that we find that God might be all in all. That he has fully revealed himself and fully transformed his creation. And made what was created good into its glorious perfection. And taken all that was broken and repaired and restored it. And taken all that was in rebellion to him and vanquished it and done away with it. And we're right in the middle of that plan. We're right in the middle of that plan. So today I want to talk about hidden mystery. And next week I want to talk about revealed glory. Hidden mystery and revealed glory. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this image of the house. Because if what he saved us for and what his purpose is, is to create this house where he dwells. And ultimately, and I think you're probably, some of you are slightly ahead of me to know that ultimately the whole of the universe becomes the house. Because that's kind of what we find in Revelation 21 and 22. So we see it's an image that, that describes the whole of the purpose of God. And it's an image that recurs down through the scripture. And every time we see it, we see something moving forward in the purpose of God. Because what's a hidden mystery is for you and I, because of the preaching of the gospel, because of Jesus having come into the world and and, and dying and being raised and ascended and pouring out his spirit, suddenly what was hidden becomes to us illuminated. It comes off the page. Have Have you ever noticed that in Acts 1... Just before Jesus, Jesus has taught his disciples about the kingdom for 40 days. Can you imagine going to a 40-day intensive teaching program on the kingdom of God and the, the only teacher is Jesus? Can you imagine how much you would understand about the kingdom of God if you'd just been through that? I tell you what, without the, without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have understood any of it. Because Peter says at the end of that program... Probably on graduation day, you know, when they were all going to get their little scrolls. He says, so Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? <laughs> and Jesus goes, right, but that, that bit's not necessarily in the Bible. That's how I, ima- I imagine, I imagine the, the head slap. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the hours appointed by the Father, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you know, the next, the next thing we have recorded about Peter is on the day of Pentecost, 10 days later, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit and he breaks out into the street and everyone's going, what's going on, all these drunken Galileans? And he goes, it can't be, they can't be drunk because even Galileans aren't drunk by nine in the morning. He says, no. <laughs> That's pretty much what he says, I think. <laughs> Read between the lines. Um, <laughs> he says, look, no, this is that one that was spoken by the prophet Joel. Suddenly... The book of Joel, the prophet Joel, is, 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 is an illuminated manuscript to Peter. He suddenly sees, no, no, look, the mystery's been revealed. This is what God is doing. He's pouring out his spirit on flesh. And the sons and daughters are prophesying. He said that, 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 that God's great final act of filling the earth with his glory, of bringing in his kingdom, is breaking out among you today. I understand these things. 
And when we come to the scriptures, we can look down through these scriptures and we can see the the purpose of God unfolding and it becomes a life to us and it becomes a motivation to us and we understand what God is doing in our world. I remember hearing dad say many, many times that it was his ambition to make it that there were no obscure passages in the Bible. Many of you that have, have listened to him preach many times will realize that often the text comes from a book that you kind of, you know, you have to guiltily admit to yourself didn't even know was in the Bible. (laughs) But you know, on every page, even the most seemingly obscure chapter, even the minor prophet whose mum, you know, struggles to remember his name, um, (laughs) there is light breaking out. Why? Because God has revealed his mysteries through the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Spirit. So very quickly then, we're going to go on a, on a whistle-stop tour, if you like, down from Genesis to Revelation and talk about how God has revealed his house because this is ultimately what he's doing. He's building a house in the earth. The story of his house. So the first place we find is in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is effectively a, a, the house of God. The house of God, the temple, the meeting place between heaven and earth where God can communicate, can fellowship with mankind. And the first emblem of that, if you like, the first thing that God reveals of that is is the Garden of Eden. It's the first thing where God intervenes in creation to build something that isn't just part of the let there be, let there be, let there be. Because in Genesis 1 you get all the let there be and everything just happens. And in Genesis 2 it says God planted a garden. He planted a garden. At the end of Genesis 2 it says he crafted a woman. I like that. But God has come and he says, I'm gonna, within creation I'm now going to come and I'm going to begin to change things. I'm going to use all the good raw material but I'm going to make it into something more glorious. He does the same with the woman out of Adam but we're not really talking about that today. He comes and he takes some good raw material and he crafts it into something more glorious. That's what he does. Whenever God intervenes, it, it always makes things better. Yeah? And so he, he says, look, there's all this wonderful, pristine, virgin environment, but I'm going to come, I'm going to plant a garden, I'm going to show mankind what part of what his purpose in the earth is to do. It's to take the good and to cultivate it into its perfection. And really we find the seed of everything that God wants to do in the Garden of Eden. He's, all the things that are laid out there, all the things that are important. There's a tree of life at the centre. We know ultimately the tree of life is a picture of? Jesus, Jesus thank you. <laughs> Wasn't a trick question. Um, <laughs> and flowing out from the garden there's a river. And the river separates and goes four different ways. Why? So that the whole of the earth can be watered. There's life. It's Adam's home. It's also the place where Adam fellowships with God. It says that God would come and walk in the cool of the day. I discovered about a year ago when I was was just reading some of this. that When it says the cool of the day, the word translated cool there is the Hebrew word ruach, which is wind, breath, or spirit. So the first person to walk by the Spirit was God. He came and walked with Adam, and they walked together by the Spirit. Isn't that wonderful? So even that's a, that's a New Testament thing, isn't it? That's, a, that's, a, that's what the Apostle Paul tells us. You walk by the Spirit, walk in step with the Spirit. Adam, that was what Adam and God was doing. That idea was right back there in the book of 
Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. The idea of a place that is on earth but kind of looks like heaven. It's a place where the God of heaven is happy to come and fellowship with people. Sometimes people talk about, when they talk about worship, I got to go to, I'm going to Covenant College this week and I'm, I'm going to teach on, on worship. And a lot of people talk about we were created to worship. And I'm not 100% comfortable with that idea. Because it kind of almost implies, you know, that, that God thought, well, what I really need is a little bit more adulation. So I'll create people. But actually what he did was, he thought, you know, this fellowship we have, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, is so wonderful. Let's use that as a model of how I'll relate with my creation. And I think actually if we, if we want to pin it onto one thing, why did God create us? He created us for fellowship. He created us to have a loving relationship. He created because he is a father. It's in his very nature. And our response to him is worship, sure. And the very fact of who he is demands worship. But not because he's a God with a big stick that says, sing louder, otherwise I'm not going to be happy. He, he, he created us for, to, to fel- for fellowship. And really that's, that's the characteristic of this first house of God, if you like, this first temple. This pla- this, it's a place where we can engage in the, in, the, in the plan and purpose of God, of cultivating what he's put in this world and bringing it to its glorious fullness. And of fellowshipping with him, uninhibited, because we're walking with him by the Spirit. We've talked about this before, but if you look at all the things God said to Adam and to Adam and Eve, and then say what would have happened if there was no sin in Genesis 3, if sin hadn't entered the world, then ultimately what would have happened is that the garden would have filled the world, because they'd have continued their work of cultivation. They would have increased in number, But they were made uniquely, and you and I are made uniquely, in the image of God. And so the whole of the world would have been transformed into a beautiful cultivated garden. The natural environment would have been brought to its ultimate potential. And the whole world would have been populated by the image of God. Men and women in the image of God, enjoying fellowship with him in every point and every place across the planet. And we read Genesis 3 and go, oh, it all went wrong. But you know what? In Christ, it all went really, really right. Because that exact same idea is what we're charged with today. We're filling the earth with the image of God. So the earth is a reflection of heaven. Filling the earth with a house where God dwells by his spirit. So it says in 1 John 4, 17, I think it is, as he is, so are we in this world. When... uh, when Kerry Jones is with us in November, you can almost guarantee at some point, either when he's preaching or when he's talking to you, he will say, hello, I'm Kerry, uh, you're, it's your privilege to meet me. <laughs> or something like that. Because he's, he's utterly convinced that actually as, as he is, so are we in this world. Every person you meet, it's their privilege to meet you. Be careful, you know, whether you kind of, that's your first line. <laughs> may put some people off. We're carrying the presence of God into this world. We're carrying that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. We're carrying. That just, it doesn't mean that just that I have a hope of glory, I, which I do. It's, a, it's, a, it's an un, uh, unchangeable 
unshakable destiny that you and I will become and share in the glory of Christ. But we're also, it's not just my hope, it's also the hope of this world. That Christ is in me, that's your hope. If you don't know Jesus, the fact that Christ is in me, that's your hope. I'm the Jesus that you're going to meet today. You're the Jesus that the people you meet this week are going to meet. And you carry within you the hope of their glory. The hope of their salvation. Then, of course, we know Genesis 3 happened, the fall. Adam and Eve put out the garden. Cherubim put at the doors in order to stop anyone coming back. And presumably, that state continued, perhaps up until the flood. We don't really know, but certainly no later than the the flood in the time of Noah. And then we have many centuries, probably millennia, where there is no expression in the earth of the house of God. And when men worshipped, they worshipped at an altar, just a single stone, or sometimes 12 stones arranged. But there was no place where you knew that you could go and meet with God. And then in the time of Moses, when God leads his people out of Egypt, he again says, I want you to build a house. But this time it's a, it's a portable house. It's a tent, it's a tabernacle. And what God is dealing with in the tabernacle of Moses is redemption. If you look at it really at the heart of everything that's going on, it's how do you accommodate a holy, perfect God with a people who are corrupted by sin? How do you, you, you can't walk together by the Spirit like God did with Adam and Eve because there's a separation that's come. But you know, God is reaching out and he's saying, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way to deal with this, to accommodate a relationship between me and people. And he picks one particular group of people and makes them a nation, the nation of Israel. That he says, I'm going to show you how even in a fallen world, even with a fallen people, I can still have a relationship with this people. I can still be their God and they can be my people. And the, the, the matter of sin is dealt with through the, the sacrifices of, of bulls and of, of rams and various other things. But whilst it means that God can relate to his people, there is this separation. And the separation is characterized by a, a veil between the, the central part of the tabernacle, the most holy place, and, and the outer areas. Where only one man could go once a year in order to make the atoning sacrifice or to bring the blood from the sacrifice in to the ark, which speaks of the presence of God and the throne of God. The tabernacle of Moses was wonderful because it was portable. And it meant that God could be a God who leads his people. He leads them on pilgrimage. He takes them through the wilderness. He brings them in to the promised land. And, and the tabernacle moved to various places during uh, the period from, uh, from Joshua down to the time of, of, of Samuel. But then in the time of Samuel, it ended up at a place called Shiloh. <clears throat> God does something wonderful through the ministry of Samuel, which really moves his purpose forward. He causes him to, first of all, anoint a king like the one the people liked, and then when that went wrong, to 
trying to anoint a king that was a man after God's own heart. And this was a man called David. And David is led by God to build a tabernacle, another tent. And we know this, the tabernacle of David. And the tabernacle of David was characterized by the presence of God. Probably the only part of the temple or the the tabernacle of Moses' furniture that was in there was the Ark of the Covenant. The the rest of the things were probably at at Shiloh still, and there's even some evidence that actually they got scattered to different parts, that actually the the altar of sacrifice might have been at one place and the the table of the the bread of the presence might have been somewhere else. But the, the, the Ark, the presence of God... We're told virtually nothing about the structure of the tabernacle of David. But that, that leads me to kind of imagine. I think it's really interesting. We're not told. There was nothing. There was no veil that we're told of. And, and it seemed like you didn't even have to, you didn't have to be a priest to come in. David, David would, would come in. The, the commanders of the army would come in. The prophets would come in. In fact, the people would all come and gather. And sing, because God had, through prophetic word, Amos tells us, instructed that actually the worship wasn't just about sacrificing, but it was about these songs. And there's a great uh, creative burst in the life of Israel, of singing and songs and instruments. And David becomes someone who invents new musical instruments. And they introduce not just a few warm-up songs before the preach, but 24-7 worship with teams of musicians and singers and prophets who would continually minister to the Lord. And as they ministered to the Lord, they would minister to the nation of Israel. And God's saying, my house is a place of my presence. And then after David, of course, David had this desire to build the temple for God and God told him he couldn't do it because he was a man of war. But his son, Solomon, the prince of peace, would build the temple. And the temple of Solomon speaks of the display of God's glory. It was the centerpiece of the city when the Queen of Sheba came and she saw everything and she said, you know, everything I was told wasn't even half true because of what I see, this is just the most magnificent thing. Probably the most impressive building the world had seen at that point. The Temple of Solomon, the display of God's glory. And one of the things I love about the Temple of Solomon is the way that it was constructed. And you've heard me talk about this before, but we'll just... That, that it, essentially it's built of bricks. It's built of stone, sorry. Things that are cut out of the ground. And you and I, Peter tells us, are like living stones being built into a house. But once they've placed the stones in place... They covered them with silver. And silver speaks in scripture of redemption. Yeah, Jesus was portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was sold for silver. So silver, and silver was the currency of the tabernacle and the temple. So it speaks of of paying a price for something. Silver speaks of redemption. Now I don't know about you, but if you you lived in a house that that was kind of built of stone and then laid over with silver, I think we'd be quite impressed. I think, we'd, I think we'd go, this is great. I'm going to invite all my friends. I'd get call, uh, call Kevin, what's his name? Get Grand Designs in. Come and, have a, come and have a look at this. My all-silver house. But you know what they did next? They covered up all the silver with panels of cedarwood. And into the cedarwood, they carved images of, of trees and fruit. It was kind of a reflection of Eden. 
But cedar is a really particular kind of wood. And, and, it's, and, and it's, its key property is this, is that it is incorruptible. It has such a low moisture content, and because of the resins it contains, it is naturally antifungal, um, anti-anything else that might kind of come and attack it. It will last forever. I was talking about this in Canada a while ago, and, um, and one of the guys came up to me and said afterwards, he said, all the, all the fence posts you see around the fields around here are cedar, and, and most of them, he said, they're still the original ones that were put in 200 years ago when this, when this area was first settled. He says, that's how incorruptible cedar is. Which was always nice to have somebody that knows what they're talking about with some actual experience telling me that something I'd read in a book is true. Um, <laughs> I, was also told that, I was also told that by the man who, who, who sold me and, and built for us our garden office. He said, there's three ways you can, three ways you can do it. He says, we can, use, um, uh, we can use untreated wood, which then has to, you have to paint it every year. I thought, well, that's not going to happen. Um, he said, you can have the treated wood, which then the stuff goes on it, and that, that will just need kind of repainting every 10 years or so, which is almost up now, so I must get around to doing that. He said, or, or, or the, the other one, you can, you, we can use cedar, and you'll never need to touch it. And I thought, that's what I'd like, and then I looked at the prices yeah. and said, but that's what I'm going for. Um, <laughs> it's incorruptible. And then finally, they, they covered the... The panels of cedar with gold. So the whole place, inside and out, was gold. And that in itself is a picture of what God is doing in you and me and what he's doing in his house. We're, we're stone, yeah? Adam means mud, clay. We're clay in the hands of the potter. We're shaped we're, we're, and we're put in place. And then he says, I've bought you with a price. You're redeemed. We're coated in silver. And then he says, I'm giving you an incorruptible nature. There is nothing in this world that can corrupt the nature of a born-again Christian. He then says, and then ultimately what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover you in gold. Because you're for the display of my glory. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it, of God's unfolding purpose. So that, the, so that even, even the, the greatest, one of the greatest political powers of Solomon's time could come and see come and look at it and go wow you know God wants this world to look at you and me and to look at his church and go wow now through the church the manifold wisdom of God has been displayed his glory has been displayed but you know the tragedy is that that house was destroyed as part of God's judgment on a people who turned their back on him and the Babylonians came and they knocked it down and they just left a pile of rubble if you've got your Bibles, turn to um, Haggai chapter 2. I think we've got this, actually, I think we've got this up on the screen. If we, if we go to the next one and then come back for the last one of these. Yeah. In Haggai 2, I'm just going to read a few more verses than we have up here. What happens is, to, to kind of cut a very long story short, is that the people are taken into exile into Babylon and then some of them come back, led by a man called Zerubbabel and then later by Ezra and Nehemiah. And there are two prophets kicking around there, um, or three, Ze- Zephaniah, Haggai and Zechariah. I can't remember which ones are contemporary. Haggai and Zechariah, I think, isn't it? And Zephaniah is, is earlier. Yeah, uh, Malachi is later, sorry. So Haggai and Zechariah. 
are there. But there's just a small group of people, and the first thing they come back to do is to rebuild the temple. Then later, under Nehemiah, they rebuild the city and the, and the walls. But they come back to rebuild the temple. And they do it. Um, and this is, they finish it 65 years after the temple of Solomon was destroyed. And of course, if you're a conquering power and you come in and you destroy a building that's completely covered in gold, and then you go down and you realise that there's a layer of silver underneath, (laughs) the rubble that's left doesn't include any gold and silver. (laughs) That's all gone. All of the furniture that 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 was covered in gold, that was all gone. All the utensils that were made of silver and gold, that was all gone. They rebuilt this out of the out of the rubble that was left. And Haggai 2 says, In the seventh month, in the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak to Zerubbabel, to Zerubbabel the son of Sheatiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? 65 years ago. So anyone that remembered it in its former glory was, with great respect to those in their 70s in the room, quite old. There were a few old-timers that could remember what the Temple of Solomon looked like. He says, how do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel. Prophets can be so encouraging sometimes, can't they? Look at this, it's nothing. All that you've done, it's nothing. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant I made with you when, I, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet one... Once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with my glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He says to them, look at it, look at it. It's okay to say it doesn't look that great. All of you that can remember when this used to be gold and shiny and much bigger, he says, that's fine. It's okay for you to look at it and say, it doesn't look that great because this isn't the end. I'm doing something bigger. And the latter glory, the end glory, the final manifestation of this house is going to be greater than the former. And the former for them was Solomon's temple. God says, the ultimate temple I'm building in this world is going to be even more glorious than Solomon's temple. So don't worry that what you're looking at doesn't look that impressive. My purpose is still ongoing. My spirit is with you. I'm still unfolding my mysterious plan. And one day the world is going to see it all. Don't worry that there's no gold or no silver because the gold and silver that was on that was dug out of the ground. But I've got the gold and the silver, says God. He says, I've got got the silver that isn't just a shiny metal, but it's the price that pays for your redemption. I've got that. He says, don't worry about the gold, because I've got the gold. I've got the glory of Jesus Christ that I'm going to impart to you. It's a house that's going to be coated not with earthly silver, but with a heavenly silver, with the blood of the Lamb of God. It's a house that's glory isn't going to rest on what you can cover the outside in so that when the light reflects off it, it looks good. It's going to be the source of that light itself. The glory of God. Simon took that scripture this morning about 
the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's the source. He's not just a reflection. And God says, that's the glory I'm giving you. The gold is mine. The silver is mine, says the Lord. And I don't know how many of them really had any inkling of what God was talking about. Because it was still a hidden mystery. But when the Apostle Paul comes, he says, I'm revealing this mystery to you. You know that house of greater glory? You know that temple that Ezekiel saw? You know all the promises that the prophets gave gave about the era of peace and of nations beating their swords into plowshares and the kings coming and inquiring of the mountain of the house of the Lord? You know all of those things? He said it's now through the church. This is the house. This is the house they were talking about. This is the house they they were longing for. This is the city that Abraham had seen. He says that this is it and now through the church it's time for the glory of God to be seen in the house of God. Just back into Ephesians 3, we'll finish here. The glory of the latter house is the fullness of Jesus Christ. It's everything that God has invested in Christ and who he is being displayed and revealed in the world. That's what he wants to reveal through us, through his church. Isn't that amazing? That's why I want to go and, 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 and catch something at the Restore Conference. <laughs> of someone you can say, God's glory is, is powerfully seen in a way in, in, in that church. Uh, in Colombia that is not seen here. I'm not saying we can't see God's glory here, but I'm saying there's something of God's glory that's seen there that we aren't seeing at the moment and that our city isn't seeing. Mm. So I'm saying, Lord, if you're going to do it there, you know, if my theology is correct, it's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same church. (laughs) Yeah? Isn't it funny today? I find you meet people today and they they read the book of Acts and say, wouldn't it be wonderful if, you know, if we still lived in a church where hundreds of people were saved every day? And I say, I'm part of that church. And they go, what? So I thought your church was quite small. No, 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 we see thousands saved every day. And after a while, of course, they realise what he's saying. You know, the successor church to that church in Acts is the church that's all over the world today. The pace is increasing. It's not just hundreds and thousands saved every day now, it's tens of thousands. It's happening all the time all over the world. That's the church that you and I are part of. That's the gospel that we've responded to and that we preach, that's the, that's the Holy Spirit that empowers us. That's the plan and purpose of God that we're all part of. I'm part of that church. But I say, Lord, I want to see it here. I love it when I hear stories from other places. I love it when I go other places and I see God doing things. But you know what? I say, God, we want to see that here. I am utterly convinced that's his plan and his purpose. Because otherwise the, the scriptures just don't make sense to me. We lay a hold and say, God, let it be. And I'll take it any way I can get it. I'll be like the, the woman with the hemorrhage. I'll come and grab onto the hem of a cloak if that's what works. I'm, I'm happy to take you know, Paul's sweaty handkerchief and rub it over part of my body if, if that's what God wants to do. You know, I'm kind of hoping it happens in a slightly less gross way. But you know, <laughs> It's like, Lord, I want to receive what you've got. And also to be able to say, Lord, is it what you've done in other places, let it be here. We don't have to go to the ends of the world because it's the same Holy Spirit. And it's a wonderful kind of tension God has between 
you know, that the Apostle Paul, I love the Apostle Paul. He writes the book of Romans and says, look, I want to come and visit you because I want to impart something. You think, you just wrote the book of Romans. What more have you got? He says, yeah, there's some things I can't do unless I'm there because there's something I want to impart to you. And to, to realize that we can, there, there is, that God values proximity and he values that, that's, that's the whole kind of image of the laying on of hands. And I think the thing that it's supposed to teach us is that he wants us to realize, actually, we're living stones but that's not just an image. It actually means this is a living stone, and that's a living stone, and that's a living stone, and we are built together. And if the only time we ever see each other is for two hours on a Sunday morning, I don't think we're being built together. It's kind of an image that's saying, look, we've got to... Proximity is important. Geography is important. But to also say it's not a limitation on God. It doesn't limit him. That we can pull on heaven by faith to receive all that he said, every promise that he's given can be ours in Jesus and just to read uh, the end of Ephesians 2 we're going to get here again next week but it says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen I just want to tell you you are included all generations, throughout all generations, forever and ever, okay? This was written about 1,900 years ago, maybe a little, little more. But Paul's prayer is this, through all generations, forever and ever, we're included. And he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And here's the amazing thing, that we don't, have a different glory we share in the glory of Christ that the same glory that's seen in Christ is seen in the church that we're not just an imitation we're not just a reflection but somehow because Christ is in us because this is a house where God dwells by his spirit his glory the actual glory of the risen Christ is seen in us and that's where we're going to go next week and talk about his revealed glory But we're those who can take all these hidden mysteries and see how God is unfolding and working. And we're part of. And and, and why why is this helpful? Why is this practical? For me, it's helpful and practical in this way. Life can become very busy and it can have lots of distractions. But I keep coming back to, what is God doing? And where do I fit in that? And I want to say to every one of you, you have a place. There is a a Gordon-shaped stone in the house of God. We're being built together. Why did he save you? Yes, he saved you because it's wonderful to be saved, of course, but he saved you because he's got a purpose. And you know, every time, every time you put another, another stone in place, what happens? The house becomes more visible. If you're coming to open home this afternoon, you'll see the house across, the bungalow across from us. They've taken the roof off, they've taken some of the walls down, and it, it looked, it was like, it looked a mess. We were going, why have they just not, not knocked the whole thing down? That seems to have been, they've left so little of it. But now the, the, the um, uh, scaffolding's gone up and they're starting to go up again. And you know what? The, the latter glory of that house is definitely going to be greater than the former. Have a look at that when you come. And see, this is what God's doing. This is the house he's building. He's making us more visible. He's making us more glorious. He's making us more capable of holding and containing his presence so that the world can see who he is and what he's doing and you're in that and that's the primary call on your life 
That's what you're here for. That's what you've been saved for. That's why you've not died and gone to heaven. Yeah, because if the gospel was just about populating heaven, we'd just keep them under the water in baptism. <laughs> they go, hallelujah. <laughs> One more in heaven. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons not to do that. <laughs> Officer. <laughs> but the sign that you have a purpose in this life is that you came up out of the waters of baptism. Yeah, that means he's got something for you to do between now and when you go to be with him. And that something is to be part of the house that he's building so that the world can find him, so that the world can see Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this precious time in your presence this morning. I thank you for all that you've shown us, the way you've empowered us to speak, words that advance your kingdom, prayers that break chains. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Lord, to see more and more our place in your, in your purpose. Our part and our call in you. And Lord, let the things of this world diminish in our sight. <laughs> let the pressures of this world break and fall down like the chains they are. Holy Spirit, elevate us to live above the things that, that had so much influence over us when we were under the domain of darkness and liberate us to walk in the freedom of your wonderful son. Build your house, Lord, we pray. Let your glory be seen. Let Jesus be revealed. For the praise of your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.